Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of the premiere of The Elephant in the Room, a GUCR podcast. Be sure to check out the first part, which is already live on Spotify, Amazon Music, and other podcasting platforms. In this part of the premiere, I'll be speaking with a sophomore and a junior. Joining me now is Frank from the class of 2024. First of all, I want to welcome you to the podcast, and thank you for talking with us today. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Ian, and it's an honor to be on the podcast. Now, first of all, I wanted to ask you about how your class came to Georgetown amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Everything was virtual. How did that experience go? How was um, how was it like to have a college experience coming in in a completely new environment, having to go out of your comfort zone all online? And how did this impact how you made friends uh, at Georgetown? Right. That's a great question, Ian. And I think uh, it would be a vast understatement to say that it was a massive disappointment to have spent the entire freshman year online. I would describe it as a postponement of um, what is supposed to be a very fun and uh, dynamic and exciting freshman year, um, as it usually is for most uh, college students or college students who are entering um, their campuses for the first time. Um, There was this constant hope that uh, throughout the pandemic, as for all of us, that restrictions would be lifted at some point, that we would be able to go back to campus and finally have the start that we wanted. And that kept on getting deferred until the summer when they finally had a program that allowed us to be here on the hilltop and actually make friends in person. And so, yes, social interactions were impacted a lot, especially for me as an uh, introvert, right? Every single interaction you seek has to be a purposeful effort that you make, right? Um, I much prefer, you know, these sort of spontaneous conversations that you get into when you're, when you, when you run into someone or you meet someone at a, uh, an event or in one of your classes, you're talking to some person next to you, right? And that just wasn't possible during the pandemic. And so, again, every sort of meeting or gathering that I had was a, this, con- this concerted effort to say, hey, let's group of people, let's get together every Friday, for example, to watch a movie over Zoom. And that's another thing, right? Everything had to be over Zoom. There was very, there were very few um, occasions where you could actually say, hey, we're in the same city, we can meet up. And even then it would be once or twice in a semester. And so, yeah, it's severely um, lessened the number of opportunities for me to get to know my fellow uh, classmates and peers. And I think that the sentiment of just hoping and waiting for us to be back in person was what defined most of my social life during freshman year of, uh, of college. And then how did that translate to clubs like joining GUCR was, or um, other clubs as well that you're involved with? Was that easier? Because I know that they did um, the club fair online, or was it better to have that in-person engagement again, as you, as you said earlier? Yeah, so that's a very interesting point because clubs, I felt, were the main avenue for you to get involved uh, in social life, right? And so the club pub fair was very important for me because I felt that without it, there would be very few other ways for me to make friends. And so uh, I was very active and I really wanted to get involved in as many clubs as possible. So I remember applying for uh, committees for GUSA and joining GUCR and GUPolitics. I really wanted to dip my toes everywhere because I figured this is how I'm going to be able to meet people from all walks of life here at Georgetown while we're online. And again, the process was very straightforward. Everything I felt was converted well onto an online format. And so there wasn't much that was missing in terms of the club experience and joining the club experience, right? 
Um, you know, it's a simple application process. You get a group interview or you may have an interview and you're in the club. Or in some cases, you just go to the Zoom meetings for the club itself, right? And that's, that's, that's it. You're part of the club. And uh, that was, again, one of the comforts of the pandemic that you were just able to uh, easily join and easily be part of clubs, the few places where you could, again, meet other Georgetown students. Um, and so, yeah, I was very active in that scene. I think that that was what most Georgetown students did to get a feel of the social life here. Do you think it would be easier to join clubs online since you can just hop on, hop off other Zoom calls or uh, in person because then you have to physically go somewhere or give up your time, whereas um, on Zoom, as I said, you can kind of uh, go in between calls and be more active or do you find that different and being on person, you find feel more engaged with the clubs that you're in? It was absolutely easier online. I can tell you that um, noticing the difference between participation and attendance in some clubs that I'm part of before we came back in person and after we came back in person. Because yes, when you're in person, you do have to make the commitment of actually going to the club. And I find that a lot of clubs don't want to have a hybrid option, nor should they, I think. Uh, You should have members be there in person, right? Um, But yes, beforehand, there were... I would say, you know, dozens or, you know, often over 50 people for some of the meetings that we had for, for example, for some of the geopolitics discussion sessions. And now attendance is uh, definitely down. Sometimes it's often an issue because there might be only 10 or 15 people who come. And so managing time became uh, something that was harder back in person. It was something that we were very used to where you could, right, just jump in and uh, in and out of calls. You didn't have to walk between places, right? Sometimes it takes between up to 15 minutes to get between different uh, locations on campus. Nope, you can just hop on a call. Maybe you can hop on another call, right, on your phone. You can be in multiple places at one time online. That's not true in person, right? And so I think a lot for a lot of people, because you have that increased level of commitment, they're not willing to have as many uh, interactions or as many sort of engagements here on campus. But that's just what, you know, real life is like, right? So I don't have any problem with that at all. Yeah, definitely understandable. And now moving on to uh, another question that I had for you is that your class came in in a very important time for our country, the 2020 presidential election. A lot of people said that democracy was on the line, that everything, the soul of our nation was on the line in this election. How is it like coming in to Georgetown, a very political school? I mean, we are in Washington, D.C., uh, and navigating those social interactions. Was it a big deal that people asked, oh, are you voting for Biden or for Trump? And did that form walls in terms of did Biden voters not want to engage with Trump voters? Was it like secluded to GCR to freely speak about opinions? Or was it more bipartisan or was it not even really discussed? Yeah. So I will say this is one of the few areas where the pandemic was a relief because prior to the pandemic, as a conservative, And knowing Georgetown, like you said, we're in D.C., we're a very political school. I knew the type of conversations I was probably going to get into. And I knew that people were going to have to ask me about who you voted for or who you wanted to win the election and all sorts of questions related to that. And so I was actually quite fearful and strategizing almost, again, before the pandemic, thinking, how am I going to navigate those social interactions? And then the the pandemic happened, right? And... Well, I think it shut down, honestly, a lot of those interactions or those would-be interactions, I will say. Um, one of the few forums where a lot of political discourse was being had during the pandemic was group meetings and group chats. And those are wholly voluntary, whether you participate in them or not. 
and I decided I wasn't going to participate in them. I wasn't going to be active in them. I knew that very early on because, you know, groupies do not tend to have the most intellectual discussions about politics, right? People aren't exactly the most friendly to each other. And so I actually was fortunate. I think a lot of us were fortunate in being able to avoid that kind of uh, dialogue, if you can even call it, you know, mostly, you know, across the aisle shouting, I, I would say. Uh, and only if you wanted to, you know, join those conversations and have those discussions with people, uh, would you actually, you know, go out there and do that, right? I decided I wasn't going to. It was a relief that people didn't ask me who you voted for, what your politics were, what you thought of the election. Did you think the election was stolen? I didn't have to answer any of those questions. Uh, and honestly, that was a that was a good thing. Um, some of the organizations that I was a part of that were overtly political, like geopolitics, uh, were very respectful of both sides of the aisle. Um, I was very fortunate to have uh, been on a SST, a student strategy team, with a fellow uh, Kevin Hassett, who is the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors, President Trump. And so I got to hear different viewpoints during my first semester here. And so that gave me the impression that there, this wasn't an overtly liberal campus. And again, that was a relief. Yeah, and did um, having your the first two politics fellow you were on the SST for, did that was that a relief as well to, for it to be a more Republican or more conservative voice rather than jumping straight into the deep end and doing a more Democrat fellow? Yeah. And for those who don't know, Geopolitics is a wonderful organization on campus that hosts uh, a bunch of fellows from around D.C. and uh, brings them in for discussions and hosts a, a bunch of other events related to both uh, all sorts of political events. And they bring in Democrats and Republicans. And I think it was a relief. I think you when you apply for SST, uh, a student strategy team, you can choose who which fellows you want to be paired up with. And of course, I want to be paired up with the conservatives. And, but I wasn't you know, opposed to being paired up with a Democrat, which I would be next semester, right? But having that conservative, having conservative uh, that first semester, again, was a comfort because for the most part, your SST is a mix of Republicans and Democrats, but there's a bit of self-selection there. And so you are surrounded by people who generally agree with you. But then the discussion sessions, again, people bring their own opinions. You have Democrats and Republicans who come. And so it's a very lively and actually productive dialogue, which is not happening in the group meetings and which is generally not happening between students and other, any other atmosphere. And that wasn't just nice to be nice to be comfortable with my own opinions and be able to voice my own opinions uh, however I want it, but also to actually engage in uh, engage with people you disagreed with. Right. And that's just as important as being surrounded people with by people you do agree with. Again, I really credit geopolitics with giving me that opportunity. And that's why I've stayed with them uh, until sophomore uh, until now. And I continue to uh, be engaged with them because they have proven to be a very valuable forum. Yeah, I definitely agree that geopolitics lives up to their motto. Uh, um, public service is a good thing. Politics can be, too. And I've definitely experienced that uh, being in um, former trade ambassador Bob Lighthizer's discussion groups talking about a bunch of issues that are very important to the U.S. I think that trade is very underrated as an important issue. I think a lot of people overlook it for more of the hot button issues that dominate the headlines. But I think it's really important in placing America on the world stage and where we are with respect to other countries. And I've lived in Europe for 17 years. I lived in Portugal. So I have seen with my own two eyes the role of the United States in Europe. Uh, I've, I've even heard Europeans say that America is giving Europe a much better deal in, in trade uh, than a lot of other people would expect. 
And to have a president come in to say, we are going to renegotiate these trade deals that rip off America, take NAFTA, for example, and renegotiate into something better like USMCA, which now the Mexicans and Canadians want to renegotiate because they're, they feel like it's uh, unfair on them. And then a phase one trade deal with China really show the push to bring more industrial and manufacturing jobs back to the United States and to really put the U.S. as a more independent power and not entirely dependent on Chinese manufacturing and imports. And the United States can actually compete on the world stage. And Europe, I think, benefited a lot from the American market. Like you have a lot of French wines, a lot of French jams, Italian pasta that comes into consumer goods. And that is what Europe is best at exporting. And so the U.S. importing so much of it in our consumerist culture, I think, really uh, benefited the European Union. So that that was a really interesting forum to discuss America and Europe's position, as well as with China, with um, Canada and Mexico and other important countries. India was another uh, country that we took interest in. So to have that area to really express my opinions freely, because I know that if I said if I supported Trump's uh, trade policies in a classroom, I'd probably get stared at weird looks right. uh, for supporting anything that President Trump did, you get a strange look. So to have that forum where, yes, you know, objectively, this was a good policy for the U.S. and to have an expert or a leading uh, figure like L Ambassador Lighthizer present in the room to help show him what the personal experiences he brought to the table was really, really eye opening and really insightful. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said about geopolitics. And just to qualify what I said earlier, it isn't entirely about comfort to be around conservative figures. I think we both know coming to a college campus, we know what the dominant political opinion is. And of course, when you come to college, you want to be challenged. You're, you want your opinions and your ideas to be uh, amply discussed. And you want people to present you know, arguments. And you should be having these lively debates. And so the fact that geopolitics offers voices from both sides of the aisle, where you can hear representatives of your philosophy or your ideas or beliefs, but also hear them discussing that with people who don't agree, with students who have vastly different beliefs about free trade, for example, is very, very valuable, right? That cross-partisan dialogue is just as important as being able to listen to figures that you do agree with. Definitely, definitely. And um, having a, res a basis of mutual respect, I think, is really important. You don't see that everywhere on a college campus, but geopolitics provides that that civility that you really need to have meaningful bipartisan conversations uh, with leading experts and leading uh, figures in politics. Now shifting over to you and your career here at Georgetown, you've had a couple internships with the Heritage Foundation, which is a premier th conservative think tank here in Washington, D.C. Tell us a little bit more about that, the, that experience and how you've engaged with Heritage and how going on the policy side is uh, how you would recommend a policy, more policy-oriented internship to other people. Yeah. Well, first off, there's no end to the amount of good things I have to say about my experience at the Heritage Foundation. I was a member of the Young Leaders Program, which they hold uh, every spring, summer, and fall. And I had a really good time and very insightful experience being there where, like you said, policy and actual decisions about where the conservative movement should go are actually being made. And so this was a very historic few months that I was at the Heritage Foundation. As you know, I was at the legal, found, the, uh, legal center at Heritage 
and what happened in legal news. A new Supreme Court justice was being nominated. And so we had to do a lot of research on the justice, on the nominee, and on potential nominees before she was announced, before KBJ was announced, of course. And we are also, you know, in the wake of what are going to be very momentous decisions that the Supreme Court are gonna hand, is going to hand down. And so, again, having to do the research, right, having to do uh, legal news analysis, writing op-eds, talking with lawyers who are working directly with these issues and with these cases, it has been such a hands-on experience at Heritage and one that you will not get at many other think tanks, I imagine. It's only a few blocks away from the Capitol, right? On my last day there, which was this past Friday, I actually went to the Hart, uh, the Senate office building, right? And had joined a discussion session on election integrity. And so again, being here in DC, that's the uh, benefit of being here where it happens, right? It's been incredible to witness people discuss these issues substantively and influence what policy in DC is going to be. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for uh, internships here. Exactly. That's what you look for. And a benefit of being more conservative uh, on yes. a college campus is that you have the same amount of opportunities, but fewer, com- less competition, Absolutely. especially in the fall and the spring. So definitely to anyone listening, if you're newly admitted to Georgetown, you're coming to Georgetown, or you're at Georgetown right now, definitely agree uh, with Frank to get out there and do any internships that you would like to and put your name in the ring because I intern on the Hill right now for Congress and Jason Smith. It is a very rewarding experience just taking it all in because you don't get it anywhere else. And so I think that's a real pinnacle of, of Georgetown and the opportunities it provides definitely for me coming from living abroad for all my life and just watching everything on the news all the time. And not to say I live in the city where these decisions are being made and where a lot of these policy uh, policies are being ID are being made and and constructed to really put forward in party platforms and to really engage with voters and especially with the midterm elections this year. But thank you so much, Frank, for joining us. And I hope to have have you on the podcast again soon. Of course. Thank you for having me, Ian. And next up, we have our junior, the president of GUCR, Elizabeth, joining us. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, your class, the class of 2023, got is a bit unusual compared to the other your mm-hmm. um, younger classes, uh, the 2024 class, and then my class of 2025, in the sense that you got a brief introduction to college life in person before COVID rocked the na- the nation and the world. Did join Georgetown after the pandemic hit? Can you tell us about the impact of meeting new people? Uh, within GUCR, outside other clubs, and then going online for like the spring semester? Yeah, it was strange. Um, just a little bit of explanation. So my our freshman year, we had first semester in person, totally normal. Second semester, we got to spring break and they said, go home. So a lot of my friends that were on spring break actually didn't even come back. They just had Georgetown pack up their stuff. It was very strange. But um, yeah, I think it we were taken away at such a weird time. And not only were we taken away at a time that was crucial, like for making friendships, we also stayed away for a whole year. So after we made some of those friendships, even if we made friendships, we weren't able to develop them as strongly as, you know, even relative to the senior class. Um, 
they I think those relationships finally came at a later time and we did try to make the best out of it I think our class did we tried to stay connected through zoom and group chats um, but it just wasn't the same and I think even in classes you know with our professors it was harder to make those connections you weren't really meeting people in classes which I think was similar to what I know everyone experienced um, but you weren't making friends in classes either so I think we got pulled away at a weird time we tried to make the best of it but I think our, it just hindered the development of our relationships and I do think now I've made so many great friendships that I'm so thankful for but it, it just has come later and so then what was your reaction I guess last spring when they told you you were coming back to campus how did that affect things of being in uh, being in person, going into lockdown, into isolation, having a year online, which is when, of course, the class of 24 comes in, and then heading into your third year, being told you can finally come back. How did that feel for you? That felt, it felt amazing to finally be able to come back. We had been away for so, well, I fortunately was able to stay in D.C. and do an internship, but being online classes, it was so hard to stay focused. And I was just so excited to be able to get back to classes and be able to have club meetings in person, actually meet people face to face that I had never met before in person. I had met on Zoom, but not in person. And I was just ecstatic to come back. And yeah, I'm very thankful that we're finally back. And, and it what we did have, it is unfortunate that we had like a semester virtually, or no, sorry, a month virtually this semester, the beginning of the semester. But, you know, overall, I was very excited we're back this year. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. And I was obviously very excited when Georgetown sent us the email saying that we would be in person. <laughs> but um, how did that, and this is something I asked Frank in the previous interview, was that he found it easier to join more clubs and do more club activities online when everything was on zoom because it was just a click of a button you can get off one call go on another how do you think that affected your like club participation when you were in person you had your cab fare in person then you had all the zoom events and now you're back in person how did that kind of club participation for you change yeah i think it was definitely i agree with frank on the aspect that it was easier to go to things because everything was virtual you could attend more than one thing at a time even sometimes you could have speakers come in that normally wouldn't be able to because they're on the other side of the country um so that was one good aspect of covid the but i disagree about that it was better because i prefer being in person and i feel like i'm able to engage with you know the speaker more the people around me more so, and I just think being on Zoom is a little bit awkward, even especially in classes. You know, you don't talk as much as you normally would in a class whenever you're on Zoom or just to other people or people are interrupting each other. You know, um, it's a little bit of awkwardness on Zoom. But yeah, so I I like being in person better. I do think you could do more things virtually. You can be multiple places virtually, but I like being in person better. Yeah, I can definitely see that that side of the of the story. But now, going back to your time in high school, I know this is rewinding the clock, but what are some of the main differences um, between being a conservative in high school versus coming into college, especially coming from North Carolina to Washington, D.C.? 
Yeah, I think in high school, I wasn't as involved in politics as I am now. I'll say that. But I think a lot of, you know, my friendships, going back to friendships, were not based off of politics. They, you know, a lot of my friends I was friends with, and then they just happened to be Democrat or Republican. And I think here at Georgetown, it's not like that. Um, I think here, it politics is like one of the first things that you talk about, just because we are in D.C. We're in such like a political area, political campus. A lot of people want to, you know, be politicians, work in government somehow. So that's their passion. And unfortunately, some people, you know, aren't able to respect other people's opinions and difference of opinions and I think that's unfortunate because you know I'll be friends with you if you respect me and I respect you is mutual respect and we can disagree about politics but you know if it's unfortunate if you can't be friends with someone just because they don't respect your political views. No, you're absolutely right it's about mutual respect and if you have that there you'll have productive conversations like I know a lot of people have getting to shouting matches and it's just mm-hmm. not productive. It's just you look like a crazy person. Right. Uh, but let's move on into more, speaking of COVID in the previous questions, into some of the more controversial things that have been happening at Georgetown is, of course, we still have our mask mandate in place. Um, and there was a student protest not too long ago before Easter. Like, what are, what are your takes on the COVID mandates that have been imposed at Georgetown and the events that have gone on, especially with that protest? Do you think a lot of students are fed up and... What are the conversations like who's defending the mask mandate Mm -hmm. and what do you think uh, should happen moving forward? Yeah, I think that the mask mandate has become very political, even though it shouldn't be. I I was talking to members of my sorority the other day about this protest that we had um, on the masks, the mask mandate, the Georgetown reinstated after a slight uptick in cases after the, you know, you just said it's 98 percent vaccinated. which and, and Georgetown even said that, you know, there aren't any like no one's being hospitalized, hospitalized. No one's like severe illness from this. Anyway, um, I again, the, the girls in my sorority were kind of saying, you know, I agree with the mask mandate protest. I agreed with the people there, but I would never go because, you know, once you go, you're, you know, associated with being. Republican, far right, you know, which is unfortunate because, you know, I did attend the mask protest, like I said earlier, and there were so many people walking by, um, cheering us on, taking their masks off, and it, it shouldn't be political anymore. As you said, you know, transportation, we don't have to have it, like, at no anywhere else except for Georgetown in a classroom, and, and just walking around Georgetown, do you have to have it? Not outside, but anywhere else, but yeah, so... You know, my experience at the mask mandate protest, I went a little bit late because I had class, but I got there and people, we were chanting again, like I said, people were cheering us on. There were some people that we would get comments, you know, disagreeing with us, which they totally have every right to. But we did have someone come up and start screaming at us. Um, And later I come to find out this was a Georgetown professor and, you know, we were people that were in the protest were saying, you know, we, we can have a civil conversation about this. We'll hear you out. You can hear us out. But she did not want to do that. Um, yeah, I think we actually have the clip for that. And you come out disabled. If you want to have a normal conversation, think about your choices. Yeah, and then come to find out afterwards, she tweeted, um, and I have it right here with me, quote, 
to the lady who stood next to me in front of Healy Hall while I ripped into Georgetown's self and thoughtless students protesting masks in buildings in solidarity. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to the kids protesting the lightest possible imposition, go insert explicit word that starts with F <laughs> yourselves. Um, but ultimately, I don't think this type of um, behavior represents what Georgetown stands for. Georgetown believes in Jesuit principles, men and women for others, building character, learning about all different perspectives. And so, you know, I don't know what happened to this professor, uh, if she, but I don't think it represents what Georgetown stands for. Yeah, I don't doubt that she probably had good intentions. I I hope I I try to see that with everybody, Mm -hmm. but it just came off in a very unhinged manner. And like I said, you get a crazy person yelling at other people who want to have dialogue as the as the audio clip shows it just serves as evidence for for us to even say well look how crazy these people are and why are we still defending this mandate when the only people who are it appears are these people who are confronting you um and calling you names right. they're not they don't actually want to debate the facts they want to yeah. call you names and then move on and then get applauded because one half of the country supports them mm-hmm. and the other half will of course vilify this professor, but it's just, it is, it is a shame to see. Um, But so there has to be an element of trust here as well. And given we are such an incredible community here at Georgetown, I think it's one of the last places I think you should mistrust people. Right. I totally agree with you. And I do think, you know, everyone does have like the right to decide whether or not they want to wear the mask uh, after the mask mandate was um, was take it was repealed for about two weeks. I think most people were not wearing them, and I think that does show that there is there is like a silent majority concerning the mask mandate being against that. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't necessarily care enough to you know fight the university on it because if you if you do stand up for it, if you don't wear a mask, you can get in big trouble with Georgetown, unfortunately, right now. But yeah, with the blue shirt army, yes. <laughs> But yeah, moving away from COVID, I mean, of course, that's a d- topic we can debate for hours on end. Definitely. Um, but given you are the president of the Georgetown Republican, so Madam President, <laughs> um, how has that experience been? And what advice do you have, particularly to other Republicans who are looking to leadership now, especially in such an important time for our party and our movement, given the 2022 midterms are expected to be a very Republican-friendly national environment, a very Republican-friendly um, election. So what 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 are your thoughts on that, especially for younger conservatives? And what do you see yourself as being the president? Yeah, so I really enjoyed being president so far of the College Republicans. I've enjoyed being able to give back to the community that's given so much to me you know, just through the connections I've made through the Heritage Foundation, which I ultimately met these people being involved with college Republicans, I was able to obtain an internship on the Hill in the House and then make my way over to the Senate. And so being now me having made those connections, I've been able to help members of our community get involved and get internships, which I've loved seeing um, these people flourish in our community. And also, I think GUCR just it's a, we need to have a community on campus for conservatives because it can feel lonely when you're the only one in your class or, or one or two in your class that is conservative, but just like remembering that there is 
a community at Georgetown a support still. group. Right. Exactly. You have a support group. But yeah, for advice that I would give to younger people that are conservative coming here, I think as a freshman, I was a little bit nervous to talk about being conservative. And even as a sophomore, I think I would, you know, not state my opinions as strongly as I believe them. And I think now I don't care anymore. Like I'm at a point where I just feel so free to say whatever I want to. And I know that I can get backlash for that. And I'm aware of that. (laughs) But like me being pro-life now, I'm not afraid to say that I'm pro-life. And but back then, I think I would have been like, oh, I'm pro-life. But like, I get it. And, you know, um, but I think that's something that I learned um, also interning on the Hill was from from I interned for both Representative Bishop and Rep- or Senator Tillis, and they both stood up for what they believed in. But they specifically Senator Tillis was able to show me that you can be bipartisan and still have strong conservative beliefs. You don't have to change your own opinion, like water it down to be able to be bipartisan. And so don't be afraid to say what you believe and don't think that you being strong in your conservative values means you can't be bipartisan. Absolutely. I agree. Um, Because if we just cave into the Democrats and the left on every issue, we get nowhere. The Overton window just continues to shift (laughs) to the left. But yeah, one last um, question Um, about your Tillis and your Bishop uh, internships. I had the pleasure of hearing Congressman Dan Bishop at a foreign policy conference a few weeks ago. And he was very, very sound on, on policy, very clear. And I think he, he was very articulate in the way that he phrased, especially his, his views on, on the situation abroad and how America should position, position it abroad. How is it like to work for somebody who is really considered not necessarily a firebrand, but is considered a very strong conservative representative and then move on to the Senate side with Senator Tom Tillis, who is seen as being a more bipartisan senator? So working for Bishop, it was very interesting because he was a lawyer, so he was very articulate. It was very interesting. He would go and read the whole bill. Um, so he knew exactly what to look for, the definitions. He was very particular, which I really respected about him a lot. And I even saw him introduce legislation against critical race theory, um, standing standing up for what he believes in. That's kind of what I learned from him and took away from him, like I said earlier. And then going over to Bishop, I think, you know, even furthered my perspective on this because I learned to stand up for what I believe in and not be ashamed of it. But then I also learned, again, going back to the bipartisanship stuff, that I don't have to dull down my beliefs in order to be bipartisan. I can work with other people and understand the other side with out changing my beliefs and so and it also was very interesting just to see how the government works um see how networking on the hill works it's, it's if you haven't worked there before it's very different than it from any other type of work place that i've been in um very very social you know you're talking meeting with new people all the time getting coffee i would definitely recommend it it's just such a cool experience absolutely i agree and uh one bonus question just as a more candid side what was your reaction when i pitched this idea to you when i came up to you in a board meeting and said i want to start a gucr podcast what do you think 
Yeah, I was excited, but I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. Like, I had no idea what to expect, honestly. Like, I was like, if Ian wants to do this, let's do it. Like, he seems passionate about it. Like, I think if he's passionate about it, it'll it'll end well, like, whatever happens. But, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how you were going to do it. But, you know, talking to you more about it and hearing the first premiere, I think it's going really well. And I'm really, really excited that I signed off on it, that you brought the idea. Like, yeah, so I'm very proud of this and of you. <laughs> Man, so am I. And that, that's all the time we have for. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. And uh, I look forward to continue working with you for the rest of the semester thank you for on the board. Me. And yeah, all the best. Yes, thank you for having me. And I've really enjoyed this. Yep. And that concludes part two of the premiere of The Elephant in the Room. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out part one with our senior Dalton and freshman George if you have not already. I highly recommend that you do. Be sure to follow GUCR on Instagram, Facebook, all of our socials. Be sure to also check out our website, which is now updated with the new board for this uh, year. And stay tuned for our senior episode, which will be coming out soon, where we pay homage to a couple seniors and their accomplishments. And one last thing before I sign off is to make sure that Every any view expressed in this episode is that of the individuals and does not necessarily reflect that as, of GUCR as an organization. But other than that, thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. And until next time.